0: It's start of a new series this morning. Uh have you guys seen the graphic on Facebook yet? Okay. Um this might get interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure if you guys have uh, have seen it but if you did, uh let's give up on church. Woo! <laughs> a lot of confused faces. Oh my gosh, he has lost it officially. Um uh, as you guys know, it's always important to me to kind of keep it fresh and uh I like to mix it up a little bit sometimes. It helps you guys stay engaged and awake. And so with this series, I want to kind of address a question that, ah, I don't know, I feel like it, it kind of hovers inside uh, most of us at some time and some seasons. There are, are places where we begin to say, okay, I, you know, yes, I appreciate the church. I, I grew up in it, blah, blah, blah. But do I really need it anymore, right? It's a season now in the summer where it's important for us all to kind of to take time for family. And I encourage you guys, if you get a chance to, to head out to the lake or to Florida, you know, just enjoy yourself out with the family. It's a very important time. But sometimes in those spaces, we begin to go, man, on the beach, with the sun, with the waves, this is kind of nice. I mean, what if I could just do this every day? Why do I really need to go in there, right? I mean, Pastor Devin, he, he's did a whole series. I can find God on the mountaintop, in the bathtub. I can find God at work, in the car. Why do I need to come to church on Sundays? If, if God is not confined to this building to this day, uh, why do I need to confine myself to church, right? Uh, it's a natural question. And so I think for us, um, you know, we just got done with a series that is all about encountering uh, God and Christ in all the places uh, and all the times and all, and all the moments. And at the same time, I, I want to kind of pair that with this series. And so he, here we are with this question, and uh, it's also an important one for this reason. The millennial generation is asking this question. Uh, if not asking it, they've already answered it. They've already said, we don't really need the church. Let's go ahead and give up on it. The, the church was our parents' church. It's not our church. We don't need that. We, I have YouTube. I can get all the best teaching I ever need on YouTube. Amen, hallelujah, right? I have Google. Why do, why do I need to ask anyone a question ever? I don't even know like, why you ever talk to anyone. If you want to know anything, what do you do? If you don't Google, I don't even know like what you're doing in life. I, I, you know. I have Google, YouTube, I have a new phone, I have the, the extra battery life. So what do I need all these things for, right? And so it's a, it's a very important question for us to answer. It's one that I've kind of been wrestling with as a pastor. Um, you know, if there's anyone who can tell you that there are some shortcomings in the church, it's going to be a pastor, an honest pastor. We'll tell you the church is very imperfect. Uh, the church is actually very poor at helping you grow with God. Uh, and the, the five years we've been at Grace Church, our one mission has been, how do we tweak and change and, and uh, modify this to where it actually helps people grow in Christ. Historically, the church has not been very effective at that. And so for us, we've been trying to figure this out. It's almost like a Rubik's Cube. We've just been spinning it and spinning it and just trying to get the combination just right. And it's taken us so much effort. It's cost us a lot of uh, uh, energy and grief and uh, even people who we love dearly constantly trying to build a church that will help someone grow has been almost impossible for us. It's felt like an overwhelming task. To have a church that actually functions the way a church should, it's, it seems silly almost. And so in all of this, we've all experienced, I mean, I'll just ask it this way, who's ever been hurt in church before? Raise your hand. Come on. Come on, liars. I mean, how is there anyone with a hand not up? You haven't gone to church before. Is this your first day ever in church? <laughs> Welcome. Brace yourself. <laughs> it's going to happen, right? Uh, we've all experienced the, uh, the downsides of church, of uh, the worst that church can be. Uh, I think most of us have all come to a place where we've learned, right, that God is not uh, stuck in Sunday mornings. God does not disappear at noon when we all go to lunch, or uh, 1145 as we should be getting out, right? Uh, You know, He doesn't just disappear. The moment you leave this building, God does not cease to be God. He doesn't cease to speak to you, to be near to you. Uh, and so, with those things being real, why in the world are we doing this? Why do we spend money on this? One of the most painful things we ever did was uh, we spent money to pave the parking lot. We went from rocks to paved. I mean, you guys who haven't been here very long—if you've always known a paved parking lot, you are just spoiled. We used—I mean, like—I mean, with the rainstorm we've had the last few months, you have no idea what the parking lot would have been. It would have been quite exciting, right? And so, uh, that was so painful. We spent all this money to pave rocks, to make rocks not move. That's what we did. What are we doing? But there's people in Africa, we could feed them, and there's naked people who need clothes, and there's all these things we could do with the money. Why would we do that? Why do we spend the crazy amount of money it takes to keep this building running and open? Why do we you know, have to get all these volunteers? Why do we do this thing? What is the point to it? What's the value in it, right? So as a pastor, I ask the, myself these questions constantly. And there's been, there have been years where I haven't been able to give a very good answer. And so I felt like it's very important for us to tackle this question uh, here in the series for us. And so I'll, I want to start with this question for you. How do you know that you are a Christian? How do you know? Can you remember the first moment where you believed or you realized or it clicked in your head? I am a Christian. What happened? What led up to this? What caused this kind of chain reaction? What led the dominoes to fall inside of you? How do you know that you are a Christian? Now, there are all sorts of answers which I could get, but let me give you the only right answer. You ready for the only right answer? Someone told you so. That is it. You only know that you are a Christian because another human being said, hey, guess what? you're a Christian now. Oh, awesome! Now what's so amazing about this is that the experiences in this room are extremely different. There are some of you um, uh, who are Catholic or Methodist and you went through confirmation. You got to experience an entire church coming around you and saying, you know what? You've gone through all the hoops. You've taken all the steps and now you are officially, you've made it. Some of you, is baptism. You are officially, when the water touched your body, officially, you are a Christian. For some of you, it was an altar call at a a youth camp or a church service. An evangelist, some extremely sweaty, loud person, said, you are saved. Come on now. Or it was in a a car or in in a friend's home and someone prayed for you and said, you are saved. You are a Christian now. Every single person in this room Believes they're a Christian for one reason because someone else told them so. You could even say someone else taught them so. Now, what's so beautiful about this is I think if I ask the most of you, you know, what is the one crucial thing we have to have to be Christians? What is the one thing that kind of keeps us all Christians? I think the most common answer would be the Bible. Anybody? The Bible? No? Okay, so we don't even need that book anymore. We're good? Okay, I think the most common answer would be the Bible. The Bible is how we know we're Christians. Well, we had fun with this last year, right? Over 300,000 different denominations exist, meaning different forms of being Christian exist. If the Bible is all you need to know that you're a Christian, here is your only problem. I've never met two people who read it the same. Did you know that? I've never met two human beings... Who, and again, now, hold on now. I'm assuming they really read it. That excludes a lot of us. I'm just being honest. That excludes a lot of us, okay? I've never met two people who read the entire thing deeply, paying attention, asking questions, and who came out on the other end going, hey, that made complete sense. Completely. No questions at all. When you begin to read the Bible asking questions, you'll realize how difficult it is to come out on the other end with the same ideas. If it was so easy for the Bible to create one faith, why in the world are there almost as many churches in this town? Actually, there's more churches in this town than almost anything else. Banks. Pizza places. That's getting kind of close. You know, I mean... Because we do not read the book the same. And if you've read the book, you understand how easy that is. What's funny in this room is that we just said, most of us, that the Bible is the one thing that makes us all Christian. But here's the funny thing about that. Did you know that the majority of that book does not belong to us? Two-thirds of our Bible belongs to who? Who would like to holler it out? Jews. Not even our book. And guess what? They don't even read it the way that you do. They go, what are you? How do you? How do you think that this guy who died is that person? You're ridiculous. Oh no, it's easy. If we just read this giant monster book which we haven't even read with all these different translations and all these different histories and cultures and languages, oh, it's easy. We'll all come out and be Christians on the end. Amen. Would you guys like to know a, a fun fact? Christians have shed a lot of blood. Do you guys know that historically that we've killed a lot of people? Would you like to know what religion of people we've killed the most of? Christians. Yes. Oh, Christians. Oh, no, all we need is the book and we're all going to agree. No, no, no. All we need is the book and we're going to start to kill each other. At best, we're just going to have different churches in the corners. Those guys aren't really Christians. They're really wrong, they're stupid. Every time we put up our church building sign, right? We've got it right, they're wrong. Because this book is so complex. Now, I want to explain something to us here. When we talk about church, what are we talking about? What is the church? Don't holler out to us. What is the church? What is it? Holler it to me. We say it all the time. The church isn't a building. It's what? It's I heard like 20 answers. <laughs> Apparently we don't say it enough, right? We say the church isn't a building. The church is people. Amen. Right? Everyone goes, okay, I'm not going to raise my hand for anything else. He's about to set us up. Okay. This is half true. Okay. Now, we call this the church universal or the church invisible, meaning the reality that people belong to God. Cool? Awesome. Now, There's also a different type of church. We call this the institutional church, the the visible church. So when we say the church is people, what we're saying is the church is invisible, meaning that there are people all over the globe who belong to Jesus, and we don't know who they are. We might, we might not. That's not the point. It's not about buildings or services or even doctrines. There are people who belong to God beyond the buildings and the names and the titles. Would you agree with that? everyone's so nervous come on just as we talk about church uh, in this series we're not talking about the church invisible here's a problem when it comes to the church invisible we don't know who they are do you know for sure that I belong to Jesus now again I'm not talking about the churchy amen hallelujah answer I mean like really do you really know that I belong to Jesus you have no idea what I do throughout the week Everyone's like, okay, I don't like where this is going. We're going to follow this guy around. You have no idea if I really belong to Jesus or not. None of us do, right? We are going to find out for sure in some moment to come, but we do not know yet. So the church invisible is beautiful and valuable and important, but we're not talking about that right now. When we talk about church in this series, we're talking about this, the institution, the visible church, okay? The invisible church did not tell you that you were a Christian. The invisible church did not teach you songs. The invisible church did not give you a Bible. The invisible church did not baptize you. The invisible church did not give you communion. The invisible church did not lay hands on you. The visible church laid hands on you. So as we talk about this series, I want you to think about when I, when I say church, yes, the church is people, but I want you to think about buildings. Think about denominations. Baptist assemblies, Catholic, Methodist. I want you to think about preachers and books and water and crosses. This is what we're talking about. What is interesting about us as human beings is that we have a habit of critiquing things. Okay? We always like to kind of tweak and change things, right? Um, Who are the middle children in the room? Okay. Oh, you poor things. We love you all, right? We see you, we're paying attention, you don't got to be loud, we love you, right? All right, middle children, I'm sorry. Um, did you ever experience hand-me-downs? Hand-me-downs, right? Second-hand goods, right? Clothes that used to be awesome and brand new, but by the time they get to you, yeah, not so much. You were always the kid in the family who was just kind of cool, right? Yeah, I'm cool. You get hand-me-downs, right? Hand me down clothes, hand me down car, hand me down a baseball glove. Once was brand new. I feel so so bad for Liam. Liam has a lot of great baseball gear, but it's all eh, slightly used. What do you have here? What is this church, the visible thing? The teachings, the the bread and the juice, the water, crosses, meeting on Sunday mornings. This is what? This is a what? Hand me down. Hand me down. When we talk about the Christian faith, there's one important thing for you to remember you did not create it, okay? Everything that you have that you know to be Christian was handed to you, right? Hand me down. Was taken from one person to another. Now, when we talk about the church, I want to talk about generations. So think about your parents. Your faith largely depends on what our parents handed to us. They gave us a faith. Okay, uh, who grew up in churches where you went to church three times a week? Four times a week. Hands up. Five times a week. (laughs) There's still hands. This is beautiful. Uh, Who ever experienced like... uh, Revival meetings, like week-long amen. Look at the hands, right? Okay. Do you attend church as much as your parents did? Hands. Do you see? So I need to get your parents in this church, right? They'll be volunteering. They'll be giving all their money. We'll be doing great. Can you invite your parents to our church? (laughs) There was a certain way of doing church, right? So most of us experience a church Where we went all the time, okay, Uh, in the churches that that I grew up in, we always knew that we were going to be the last in line at the buffet on Sunday mornings, okay? Church was scheduled for us to go from 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock. By the way, the plan was a two-hour service. Do you know how long the service is here? Do you guys know? An hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes if I'm getting really bad, all right? You guys complain if I go an hour and 25 minutes. You guys are in an uproar. It's a riot in this place, right? I'm watching the clock right now because I know you guys get getting mad at me already. Okay. Our parents went to church for at minimum two hours. My parents, if we got out at 12, it was a move of God. I literally remember sitting in church watching the clock go 2.30. Here's the worst part about it. When we finally got to lunch dinner, whatever we called it back then, at 3.30, 4 o'clock, the conversation was, church was so great, wasn't it? We were there until 2.30. Amazing how things change, right? So we grew up in a church where we're there for eternity. We go to church every single day. Basically, church is purgatory for us, okay? And so you're in church all the time. You never leave. You go every single night. So what do we do? (laughs) Church is Short. We're going twice a week if you are the most faithful people in the room. The rest of us, right? Twice a month, maybe, right? We're gonna pull back. Because our parents were wrong, weren't they? Our parents said, you've got to be in church all week long, all the time, or God's not happy. But us enlightened children, we've all learned you guys were wrong. I can go to church twice a month, and Jesus still loves me. Amen. We've learned. Amen. Who has ever taught the proper way to drive? Like the proper way? 10 and 2, right? I don't even know. That's terrible. Right, 10 and 2? Anybody? I have no nods. We are the, the, the worst, the most unsafe drivers in the city. Okay. I think it's 10 and 2, right? Here's the idea. When you are teaching your children to drive, we all hope and pray that you're teaching them the basics. We're going to start out here, right? Right? We tell them, you're not on the cell phone, no friends in the car, we don't want the radio on, no distractions. You go to the speed limit, you go to this place, you come back, right? We try to give them the most basic, structured, rigid thing we can possibly do. Do you always expect your children to drive at 10 and 2? Is this the point, okay? When you go down to the, the DMV or whatever it is that you go for, this highway patrol, they don't really expect you to drive that way nobody does but they want you to start that way now what are the moves that you will teach your children in the future anybody what are the, the, the driving things you will teach your kids when they get older what drifting okay <laughs> wasn't what I was talking about but that could work yeah we're gonna have it yeah have the cones laid out we're gonna do some drifting no yeah, I the parking lot. You're right. No. What I was talking about, how to, the burger, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I'm not good at this one, but, like, you know, the, the makeup, you know what I'm talking about? You're, you know? <laughs> now, you know, we got the dangerous ones. we got the cell phone. we got all the different moves that we will teach them when it's time, right? What's the bad thing is my kids already know how you're supposed to drive, so sometimes we'll be driving and I go, Dad, your hand's not on the wheel. What are you driving with? And of course, Jude's older. He's using his knee. <laughs> I figured it out. I've been here a long time. He's using his knee. It's not magic, I promise. <laughs> there are things that we will allow our children and understand that, you know what? At some point, they're going to go beyond the 10 and 2. right? They're going to go into these other areas. At some point, the rigidness doesn't have to be there. At some point, it's going to be okay for them to have the radio on. At some point, they're going to be able to have, have people in the car. At some point, they're going to have their own family in the car, hopefully. Right? We know these different things. What would happen if you take your 13-year-old, 14-year-old out, and your first lesson is the knee? I'm just, understand this. We will always take what's been handed to us and begin to deviate, right? To go off on our own pattern. There's always going to be things that are handed to us that we are going to critique, we're going to change. The odds are, if you, there are habits that you have, uh, cooking habits, parenting habits, things you do with friends, hobbies that you have, which were handed to you from your parents. You learn them from someone else, Right? But most of you have not kept those same things the exact same. Most of you have taken things that you learned from your parents and, oh, I like this. And others of you have taken things that they gave you and said, nah, I'm good without that. This is what we do. We we take things that are hand-me-downs and we begin to kind of put our own impression on it. So here's the question for us this morning. If the church is a hand-me-down, right, if the church is being handed down from every generation, our parents with the church, they were there for three hours a day. They were there six times a week, whatever. right? They gave all this money and time. They were so faithful, blah, blah, blah. And then it got handed to us, and we tweaked, and we changed. and we. Here's the question. The faith you're holding now, you got from your parents. You've tweaked and adjusted. You have your own opinions, your own ideas, your own things you want to change, things to add to it. The question for us this morning is this. What church, what faith, what, what are you going to hand to your children? Just picture it. Starts with 10 and 2. Moves on to the one-handed, to the lean, on to the knee-driving. What comes next? I want to explain this. More than anything, this church, the institutional, the, the visible church, more than ideas or teachings, this is to be a culture. I want to explain this more. Every area in life, every small kind of section of our lives has a way of doing things, okay? And we have to find ways to teach and to reinforce things. If you go into the army right now with hair down to your butt, are you going to be allowed to keep it? Okay. There are some practicals, okay, if you're going to fight for your life, there are some hindrances that long hair is going to give you. Agreed? Agreed? But is long hair really a big deal when you're trying to kill another person? How about facial hair? How about when you go to the army and they teach you how to clean your boots? What does this matter in combat? Right? What does waking up at a certain time and making your bed a certain way have to do with anything in the world? It's not just discipline. Consider it reinforcement all of these different things are are cultural social cues meaning these are things that we're going to do with our bodies which are going to inform your minds we're going to keep it rigid so that when we hand down this practice we're going to hand down the military from generation to generation to generation the technology may change the strategies may change but we're going to keep the very essence of it the same And every generation can tweak and improve, but we're going to keep it it. When you go to a sports event, and they begin to play music, and they begin to put the camera on a flag, do you know what to do? Cultural what? Reinforcement. Is the the national anthem, the United States of America, are they the same thing? When you go to school every morning, you start with what? The Pledge of Allegiance. Is the Pledge of Allegiance America? No. When you... <laughs> there's some people who just popped in my mind. When you go swimming with the American flag trunks on... <laughs> Adam Dean, where are you? Are, <laughs> is that America? No. No, no, no. <laughs> Someone's like, yes, it is. Amen. Right? All of these things are not America, but all of these things are meant to preserve the essence of what this country is. The idea is that we know things will change. Technology will change. Policies will change. Certain parties will be in power. Then other parties in power. This has always happened. We know this is going to happen, but we keep these things, these cultural barriers, these levies, right? we We're dealing with flooding right now. These things are going to hold back change. We don't want to let the water in. Picture Van Buren. Now this is... I don't know if you've seen this yet. When you're going over the bridge, there's this hard line in Van Buren. Water, 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 and it just seems to just sit. And these levees, the officials have been so concerned about it. There's a huge floodgate. And this is literally holding back change. If these things were to give way... It wouldn't just affect Van Buren. There would be so much extreme change, I'm not even sure if we could call it Van Buren afterwards. There would be so much, would, it, would, would there be enough left to where it would still be the same thing it was before? There are things we create in each culture that we create these things that have one purpose to preserve. To hold back change from certain things to know that what we're giving to the next generation is the same thing we were given. To know that the generation before us and before us and before us that we're still holding the same thing that they held. We can change it. We can add to it. We can can see all these amazing reform come to it, but that it's still the same essence. The church is that levy. It is that wall. It is that concrete thing which has one purpose to make sure that going all the way back to the book of Acts, that what they're handing down from every generation is still the same thing. Question for us is this. If I stopped coming to church this, this next week, if I never came back to the church, my personal faith would probably be just fine. Just being honest with you. I could probably be okay Here's the question. What, am, what kind of faith am I going to be handing my children? Yes, I can teach them a few things. I can maul a few things. But here's the difference. The first driving lesson for my children is going to be the knee on the wheel. The first driving lesson that they give their children is going to be what? <laughs> and again, I know, we're, they're going to be in you know, hover cars. Who cares? Whatever. You get the point. Leave me alone. All right, you get the point, all right? If you look at the church as the end-all, be-all of our faith, if this is what being a Christian is about, then you're right. It's pointless. This is not what being a Christian is about. This room, these practices, the book, the bread, and the juice, all of these things, the songs, it doesn't matter if we have a sitar up here, if we worship in silence. All the stuff doesn't matter at all, right? The way that we worship is completely different than the churches that we all grew up in, right? We're here for an hour and 15 minutes instead of being here for, you know, four hours. Does that, <laughs> there's all these things that can change, but here's the question. What are we handing down? If our parents went to church five days a week and they were so faithful, and we go twice a month, then what are we handing down? And again, this isn't about church attendance. Don't miss what I'm saying. All of this stuff that we do is for one reason. The church is never meant to be the end of your spiritual journey. The church is only ever meant to be the beginning of your spiritual journey. The church, these things that we do, we do the Eucharist, we do baptism, we teach the Scriptures, we sing songs together, we eat meals together. This is not the end of the faith. If you were paying attention in my last series, I hope you heard some really dangerous things I was teaching you. I just taught you that basically... You've been swimming in a kiddie pool, and there's an entire ocean for you to go enjoy. This is still true. The whole point of this stuff that we do, of me even spending my life being a pastor, is not to teach you that this is it. The whole point of this is to launch you into something deeper and bigger and broader and wider and more beautiful, but you will never get there unless you have a place to start. Any roller coaster fans in the room? Anybody? If you are a true fan of coasters, then your favorite part is the... If if you don't like that part, you're not really a fan. I promise you. This, everything we do here, the laying on of hands, singing, teaching, all these things we do is the... We are taking you to a place where the ride actually begins. The real faith, the real life with God takes place outside of this. Part of the reason that that you've had thoughts, man, perhaps we should give up on this. Maybe we should stop going. Surely not that important. I mean, I can still pray at home. I can get my teaching. I can do all these things. I can teach my kids. Understand, you might be able to never come back to church and continue your faith. But understand something. Most of you, had the privilege because of your parents to start in this place, to be launched in this place, to start with the kiddie stories in the Bible, to start with the basic ideas of God, to start with encountering God through songs or through a teaching. You started somewhere. Here's the problem. My oldest son is playing baseball, and I always want to work on the more complex stuff. I'm always so excited to get to the pitching. I want to get to the like I don't want you to, to break down this boring. I want you to run full speed, catching the side. I want you to do the cool stuff, man. Hit home runs. Let's do the cool stuff. He's seven. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do that yet. We have to start somewhere and build. If you found frustration with the church, it's because you had the wrong idea that, that we were telling you this is the end. This should not be able to satisfy your hunger for God. If it does, something's off. But this should start your hunger for God. This has to be a building block. Paving a parking lot, the money it takes to meet in this building, to run these lights, and we could do so much stuff outside of this building, but but here's the problem. The moment we stop meeting in this building, the moment we stop teaching, the moment we stop singing, the moment we stop taking communion and baptism, the moment we stop enforcing the basics, all of a sudden the other things start to fall away. I would love to believe that I would stay just as engaged in these Christian things, but I know that there are things that I do that are the basics, and I keep them in my life because they keep that essence strong in there. There are all sorts of things that I want to tweak and change from the churches which I've experienced. But the one thing is this. For all of their faults, those churches got me here. Those churches taught me who Jesus was, even if they weren't all right. They let me have my first experience with God, even if it wasn't the most perfect one, right? I learned the Bible stories, and I got to be around people who talked about Jesus, who tried to grow and improve themselves. It started somewhere. And so in this series, our first answer is this. The first reason that we're not going to give up on the church is because you have to start somewhere. Our generation might be perfectly fine if we never went to a church building ever again. And that's a huge assumption, by the way. But say that's so. Even if we were fine, what happens to the next? What are we giving to the next generation? And again, that's, that's the question. We want to move on to the depths of, of Christ and all things and encountering God in all places, but we have to start somewhere. We start with a book, an old book, old stories. We start with a God in a physical body and we take you on. We have to start somewhere. Would you guys stand with me this morning? So just because we we know that we have to start somewhere doesn't mean that we stop reforming. We stop improving and critiquing. I didn't share this part, but the verse this morning actually... I say this. It was even saying that, hey, you know, the faith is built on this. You shouldn't worry about human traditions. What's so funny about the verse that we opened with this morning is that everything that they were doing, Christians in the Scriptures, in the book of Acts and Colossians, everything that they were doing was built on the human traditions of Judaism. Everything that they'd done had been built on traditions. And they had the freedom to say, no, no, who cares about traditions? About 100 years after the author had died, the Christian faith was losing its way. Because without levies, without some kind of concrete structure, without something to keep us centered, we begin to lose our way. And so 100 years after that author passed away, the church began to build back new human traditions. It's not that the faith is the traditions. It's not. The faith isn't it. But we are still human. And in this country, we do these things that keep us reoriented. And in this faith, we do things that keep us reoriented. God is not limited to bread and juice or to singing songs or to listen to some guy talk for 40 minutes, right? God is not limited to these things, but these things bring us back to center. And then we wander, and we enjoy, and we venture, and then we come back, and we center, and then we... But what happens when you lose your center? Father, we come to you this morning. We ask you to prepare our hearts and minds, and as we come to the table, again, this old, ancient thing that we've done. Prepare us. Prepare us.